Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and I am joining you from post-production as this episode turned into a two-parter with um, Max and our special guest, P.D. Webb. Um, he does awesome Patreon breakdowns of NBA Draft prospects and you can find him on Twitter at Above the Break 3. So we had to split this one into two for, for length purposes. So uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off talking about philosophical debates in the 2020 NBA draft. So we hope you enjoy. I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50 plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've we've been with them since March and have enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines as well as potentially host live events once we once we return to a semblance of normalcy. In addition to Bet Online coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's lar- largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at The Nine Club. To see more, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com, and their socials at Armchair Media. Armchair Media, those who can, do. Those who don't, can't. Take a seat. Okay, our last one is, um, I think, de- definitely one that, that is really important in the modern NBA and, and um, something that comes into play with like almost every prospect, uh, and that's evaluating shooting projection. And I think that there are a lot of different philosophies about this in, in draft Twitter for sure, uh, and definitely in the, in the NBA. Um, so I think two guys, I mean, it's important for a lot of guys in this class, but two guys that definitely come to mind would be um, Leandro Balmaro and uh, and Denny. Uh, I mean, it, it comes into play for Lamelo, of course, too. Um, and so, I guess I'll I'll just open it up um, with what indicators do you guys value? Like, how do you weight uh, mechanics again, development arc, uh, percentages, sort of the the um, vague and uh, you know touch uh idea so what what do you guys personally value and 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 make the case for that i can start this one off um so this is you know the the billion dollar question especially if you're a statistically minded person um trying to scrape and try to find um you know a small sample or a small school you know um lower level 
shooters. Um, for me, the first thing that I look at is attempt volume. Um, I pretty much say it in every breakdown. If you're a good shooter, you can never take enough threes. And players who don't take enough threes, to me, indicates more that they are, are not a shooter um, than anything else. Uh, the second thing would be the consistency of the mechanics, whatever the mechanics may be, as long as they are consistently that way. Like there's um, people who don't like uh, Vassell and Halliburton's mechanics because they're not really pretty. And while they're not the greatest thing um, in terms of like comparing it to clay um, mechanics, God, um, they look all the same almost every time. And the things that are different are very fixable. Vassell's hand sometimes slides to the side of the ball and he shoots um, with his pinky. Sorry for this background noise. He shoots with his pinky um, more than you would like. And Halliburton has a release that has been raised over the years um, from his high school shot, which he tells a story about how his, uh, his high school uh, AAU coach and trainer, um, the person who, like, he didn't blow up as a recruit because he didn't play uh, a shoe circuit because he wanted to be with this guy. And this guy would have his um, three-year-old nephew stand in front of Halliburton and try to block his shot because Halliburton brought it so low that um, a three-year-old could block it, which I swear to God, <laughs> not me being um, hyperbolic. That's a story I heard from Tyrese Halliburton's mouth. Um, so if you're viewing it longitudinally, like the mechanics are th roughly the same almost every time. Yeah, it changes a little bit when he goes to the, the pull-up, um, which I think a little bit too big of deal is made, the, the low, um, low pull-up numbers just because it's clearly a developing skill for him. Um, and then the next thing that I would value is um, the ease of the mechanics to clean up and to touch, uh, touch indicators. Um, like hand movement, uh, um, like things that you generally want to avoid would be like weird landings because they indicate um, kinetic chain problems, especially around the hips, um, ankle instability. Um, and then like touch mechanics are really difficult. And I think that a lot of people um, who would like to be um, a little bit more bold with shooting projection, take small sample size um, floaters as like a, a really valuable indicator. And I have yet to see a real scientific study of like under like 200 floaters being anything more than noise. Um, so I would say that that would be smaller. And then I would just never, ever, ever, ever value small sample size um, as especially with three point shooting. Um, I I can it, I've made those mistakes before. I don't want to name the prospect because um, I have a, a long thing that I got some negative feedback about maybe going a little too hard, but let's just say I won't ever doubt if uh, I won't ever put too much weight in someone making 18 threes at 40% clip ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, um, I mean, for me, it's, I, I'm more uh, or less inclined to buy the, um, a lot of the indicators that are uh, like, um, or really uh, brought up by draft Twitter, like free throw percentage, runner touch. I mean, like you said, the runner, no no prospect is going to have a st statistically significant sample of runners. Like you're talking about such a small number uh, of attempts that you're you're not actually going to glean anything meaningful from that. Uh, and then touch is just, is really such a subjective idea. Um, but what I want out of a prospect, I think, is the first thing that you mentioned is definitely volume. I think that's, that's very, very important. Um, I want also to have good free throw percentage. And then I want mechanics that, that look 
you know, not terrible. So like Paul Reed has, you know, good free throw percentage and I guess for his role, like fine three point volume, but I, I'm just, I don't buy him as a shooter because the mechanics are totally unreasonable. Um, but the, the other thing that I think is, is important. I mean that you, you definitely uh, got at with, with Halliburton is development arc. Like I'm, I'm more inclined to buy, to buy Brandon Clark as a shooter because he's just, you know, the, the pace at which he's improving is, is so impressive. Um, I mean, that has drawbacks. Like, I don't know if Jared Culver can shoot, but I, I definitely bought him way too much because of, uh, his, his ridiculously, um, positive development arc. But I mean, that's coming into play certainly with Bulmaro and Denny for me that Denny is totally stagnant with this, like with these horrendous, uh, indicators. Whereas Bulmaro, I think it is on like a steady improvement arc mechanically since, since the summer even. Um, so that's just something that I think goes under discussed. I mean, just jet, I mean, I think that one of the probably main takeaways from everything we've discussed is that development arc before, um, development in the NBA just goes wildly under discussed, uh, with all of these guys. Yeah. And I basically echo all the things you guys have said about looking for, uh, looking for volume and indicators and fixable mechanics. Uh, one more point that I look for is shot versatility. And I think of in terms of like Desmond Bain versus Aaron Neesmith as shooters where Bain and Neesmith are both pretty competent are pretty great off movement shooters Neesmith is probably better but Neesmith has Neesmith has no pull-up capability and his mechanics are very different shooting off the pull-up or much worse shooting off the pull-up than shooting off of screens or off the catch whereas Desmond Bain is is very comfortable shooting off pull-up so I think that's also an important consideration when a shooter is not only taking a lot of shots but taking a lot of shots in in different ways and taking a lot of shots in like difficult situations like i think of a guy like spencer jones where like half of his threes are like off of a dead sprint and and it's obviously great for him oh i just think having that like showing that you can do lots of different things as a shooter and do them well is is another important factor yeah i mean i think versatility is something that definitely comes into play i mean to, I, to use an example that I think, it, I mean, obviously one one situation you shouldn't take too much from it, but from last year's class, uh, considering Matisse Thibel and Terrence Davis as shooting prospects, where if you just look at, at like, I guess, traditional indicators um, that a lot of people cite, I think Thibel probably looks like a better shooting bet. Uh, he's at 534 career three-point attempts at 35.8%. Davis is at 519 at 33.9%. Davis is at 71.7% on 332 free throw attempts for his career. And Thibel is at 78.2 on 216. So I think you could arguably say that Thibel, or I think a lot of people would say that Thibel has a rosier shooting projection, but uh, Davis was taking like difficult off the dribble attempts, difficult movement attempts. And it certainly seems like the early returns from the NBA are that Davis is is like a weapon as a shooter and Thibault is is a liability. Um, so I think that, that something like considering what their shot diet was is, is very important. Uh, so I have a bit of a question. I don't take free throws into uh, consideration as much as other people do um, because I think that it is most of the bad, like good shooters who are bad free throw shooters just like have a mental thing. Like Denny has, yeah. it's very, it's very separate from his other issues. His issue shooting for me is about his legs. 
and the free throw is just a mental thing. Yeah. Um, I struggle with it when it comes with people like Isaiah Stewart, who uh, was at about 75% from the free throw line on about 200 attempts and took 23s at 20, at making like, you know, he made five out of 20. But the thing is, is that his three point shot and his free throw shot are in no way similar. Like the mechanics of it are fundamentally different. How would you guys weigh somebody who has a more laborious or, you know, altered free throw with good indicators as a projected shooter? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's another piece of the puzzle. Um, I think that, I mean, I feel like free throws would be a just larger sample, more stable version of the touch indicator. Um, not necessarily a mechanics thing, but then of course you run into problems where with like Denny, where it is, it is a mental thing. And I mean, it's, it's, I think statistically um, in, in a, on a broad scale that one of the two usually regresses and they, you know, they sort of, they converge at some sort of sensible point, but there are, there are guys of course that, that are good at one and bad at the other for whatever reason. Um, so I think yeah, it's something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's something that you consider as as a piece of the of the whole um, evaluation. I mean, in Stort's example, he shot forty two point seven percent on two point jumpers. So I think that you probably put a little more value into those those free throw uh, numbers, even though I mean, his free throw mechanics are, are really really bizarre um, and very different, obviously, for his jumper from his jumper. But um, I, I think that in a case like Stewart's where it's like, okay, he's, he's demonstrating that in spite of these weird free throw mechanics, he, he has some sort of uh, touch or just the ability to make them. And on these two-point jumpers, he's demonstrating uh, you know, a workable jumper. I think that that's a guy who, who definitely looks like a solid bet to be uh, a, at least a, a passable big man shooter. And I think... Um, it seems like, at least in my research, that free throws, free throws in the extreme are more predictive than ones that are not. Like, I think of a guy like Precious, who is a really outlier bad free throw shooter, an outlier bad like touch guy, even though touch is obviously nebulous and difficult to quantify, versus like someone like Tyler Hero, whose like touch indicators and everything surrounding that were great, uh, versus like I mean guys who shoot in like the seventy to 80 range it seems less predictive like we talked about with davis and thibel like that that seven that that what like seven or eight percent difference is far less predictive than other things like shot versatility and and difficulty of of shooting versus like 50 like 50s or low 60s to like high 80s or 90s where i think that is historically a lot more predictive and i will say one more thing that's not on the free throw point uh, an indicator that we haven't talked, at least for pull-up shooting, is like off dribble twos and unassisted twos is an important thing. I look at, I mean, there's a pretty decent history of players in college or low levels who weren't really dynamic sh- three-point shooters or didn't have any incredible traditional indicators like really three-point volume or free throw percentage. You look at guys like Jimmy Butler, or Kawhi, or Chris Middleton, or Siakam, or even Jason Tatum to an extent, who took lots of difficult unassisted twos and made them at a pretty sustainable clip and then eventually 
evolved into pull-up three-point shooters at the NBA level. So I just think that's another important factor to consider in this in this evaluation that really is very holistic in in its entirety. Like where there's not really one thing to consider. No, um, and I think that the using uh, off the dribble twos as um, an indicator actually works really well with the Patrick Williams, Killian Hayes conversation in that it's a biomechanic principle where people are learning how to self-organize with movement. Okay, I'm dribbling, I'm, I'm going full speed, I have to set my feet, I have to position my hands. And even if I'm a bad shooter, like getting all those things out and taking the same shot every single time is an indicator positive. Yeah, yeah I, I I think that's a very good point. And I've, I'll say two things uh, jumping off that. that I would be curious to see um, a statistical evaluation of long two guys who who didn't shoot threes who then became three point shooters because I would imagine the returns on that are like pretty pretty consistently really strong, um, especially for for like perimeter players where if you are a long like a a good long two shooter, I would almost guarantee that you're going to be a good three point shooter at some point. I mean we've I think I think that was very much the case with Killian that he was always a good um, short pull ups. Uh, guy and like this year definitely made strides on the threes after um several years of of really struggling in that regard um to the biomechanics uh point something i've talked about with a friend of the program ross homan that i think that i've never really seen talked about elsewhere that i think is very relevant for the pull-up situation is the idea of evaluating a guy's off the dribble passing as uh translatable to off the dribble shooting. And so a guy that I think that's very relevant for this year would be like Kyra Lewis, who has the smoothest transition from uh, dribbling to passing that like I've ever seen. But I feel like that the, the biomechanics of, of gathering the ball shifting from, you know, dribbling it to, to holding it. And just like the, it's, it's a sort of similar physical concept. Um, And there, there are obvious differences, but the idea that your your body moves smoothly and um, uh, consistently in that regard is definitely something that would indicate a, a positive ability to transfer that skill to something like pull up shooting. So you know, whereas Kyra is not yet a dominant pull up shooter, I mean, that I think that his his just absolutely seamless transition from dribble to pass is is certainly a a good indicator for an ability to transition from dribble to shoot. It's quite literally a touch skill. <laughs> um, with that, uh, do you guys want to move on to our, our final segment, which is the uh, guys who are, have uh, caught our eyes recently? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, in typical prep to pro fashion, we've gone, we have made this quite long. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, PD, do you want to you want to start us off? Yeah. Um, so somebody that has caught my eye and somebody that I think would be a national conversation um, if we were having live periods would be Derek Whitehead, uh, 2022 uh, guard wing uh, who goes to Montverde and plays AOT on the YBL circuit. Uh, he's a 6'6", 180. Uh, he's got probably like a plus five, plus six wingspan. Um this is his third year at Montverde. He started midway through his eighth grade year, but he's a Northeast kid. Um, when he first showed up, uh, Gavoni got on him really quickly because he was an eighth grader making an impact at like a really high level in high school. Uh, his first step, defensive instincts, uh, motor, and tenacity stand out. He's probably uh, up there in the like Greg Brown category for windmills per game. 
or mid- <laughs> like which uh, it's probably windmills per 36 because mob bird sort of does a platoon system where they just throw wave and wave yeah. and wave have five star guys after you um he doesn't have uh, stats because Montverde didn't release this year's um, stats. And if you have those, I honestly will pay you real American money for them. Um, and and D1 Circuit did go down. Um, Neil Johnson, who's the ESPN uh, stats guy, has been putting out uh, a BPM leaderboard for 16s. Uh, if that gets published, I'm 90% certain Dariq is on there. I will retweet it. Um, so you can go to my page for that. The most important thing about Dariq is that he is super duper young. Um, he played his whole sophomore year at 15, and he doesn't turn 16 until August. So Jesus. he is wow. dramatically younger than everybody else. He he's is, like uh, yeah, he's he's fully like Kyra. Um, he could probably be like a 20, 2022, 20, 24, 20, like based on how other people have handled this process for like stars, you would assume he was older, but he's crazy young. Um, just a stocks monster. Um, he will jump out in games because they sort of the the way that Montverde handles its defensive rotations is that with Cade and Barnes, um, the coaching staff gave more room for like the Reed guys to roam. So Derek and Barnes will just randomly double, and his ability to read rotations on it for like where he can get to is just silly. The first step jumps off the page at you. Um, the question as it is with basically everybody is how much will he shoot? Um, I thought that in the games that I saw, he was further along than Scotty, um, as a shooter. And there is a lot, like he takes jumpers last year. I was worried that he was going to go the, like, sorry for this background. Um, he was going to go the route of, of like a MCW or even Scotty himself where like people will just double under pick and rolls. Um, and he will dribble, dribble, or look around and ask for a bailout. But he's like he's confident shooting them. Um, the elbow flares out a little bit. There's still some self-organizing stuff. But for a young guy with crazy tools, who's big, who has the chance to like be a real primary, um, the fact that he's not considered a top three player in 2022 is wild. Yeah, he's a bonkers athlete. Like mm-hmm. absolutely wild. Um, from what I've, I, I tend not to pay too much attention to him in the Montverde games just because he is he's he's so young um but from what I've seen I think yeah like fairly fairly far along for what he is athletically as a spot shooter um and I mean Ross Homan also loves Dariq Whitehead um and uh when Ross and and PD agree on uh on a high school prospect you should probably listen to them (laughs) um did you did you have anything else uh you want anyone else you want to bring up now yes. or uh, yeah. Okay, um, so the last thing that I want to bring up was um, a scouting hall of famer retired uh, Tom Kachalski. Um, probably the most important scout, in my opinion, to ever do it. Um, retired from basketball at age 73. Um, the man has the scariest memory that you will ever run into. Um, he will know who your dad played for in high school, what his best game was, <laughs> the numbers that he had, uh, who your uncle played, a fun fact about everything, steel trap of a mind going back 50 years, um, was the person who selected Michael Jordan uh, and ABCD. Every basketball story on the East Coast runs through Tom Kuchalski. He rode the bus to every game. So you could use that as an opportunity to like pick his mind. So you'd have three hours. He's the nicest human to ever, uh, to ever really be in this industry. 
And um, I just want to say that if you have some time today, uh, pull up YouTube and look up either some of his speeches, or some of his interviews. Um, you, your basketball education will be better for just being around the presence of Tom Kuchelski. I don't think that he is done done. If there is an EYBL stop that he can get to by bus, he will get there. Um, if you can subscribe, if you can find a physical copy, he didn't own a computer. He typed them all up on a, um, on a typewriter. Um, so if you can get a copy of HSBI, his uh, scout service, I highly recommend it. Um, just uh, we salute a, a Mount Rushmore scout. Thank you, Tom Kuchelski, for what you've done for the game of basketball. Sweet. That's awesome. Um, ben, you want to do you want to do yours? Sure, but I'll quickly say I think Derek Whitehead is officially now the youngest player we've talked about on Prep to Pro. Um, is he? He's younger than um, than uh, what's his face, Deshaun? Yeah, he is because Deshaun's twenty twenty. Because Deshaun Deshaun was it before, but he's the high school class twenty. That's right. Deshaun so. is Deshaun is the is the farthest away from the NBA that we've talked. about. <laughs> yeah. uh, Derek okay, Whitehead's yeah. birthday is in two thousand and four. God. Oh my god! Oh god! You make me feel so old, and I'm so young. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Ben. So, Go uh, ahead. So my my guy, I want to talk about. Um, I feel like a lot of people have recently been talking about this guy recently, so I want to get my thoughts out on Lamin Janay, um, CSUN, six foot seven, combo forward type, who has been getting a lot of love recently for just basically dominating his competition. Um, and I was my original plan when I was when I when I was thinking about what I was going to say about Janae was positive, because I, I mean there is definitely some quite a bit of merit with a guy who is as dominant statistically as he was. He's is a legitimately like a very good athlete, and he does some just ridiculous things with like his body control and his burst and his strength on drives, and then his like quick and his, his quick jump time as as a defender. But like like it seems like people are too in on him because i mean there are a lot of negatives with him i mean he is already 22 at, after his sophomore season um he's quite old um he basically hits none of the shooting marks that we talked about and he often gets like a siakam ceiling comp um for that like mid-major like point forward type but the difference in what i kind of brought up with siakam is siakam shot about 45 percent or 42 or 45 percent i can't remember on long twos majorly unassisted and Janae is at about 30%. So that's just a very, that's a significant difference. Also when we're talking about a difference of about a hundred makes between them. Um, and, and, and then Janae also really questionable feel and, and just general shot selection and like all of those weaknesses compounded at, at his age as the lack of shooting and really not knowing how to play the game has me like worried for people like thinking about him, maybe even like the first round range. I think he's a fine, like late second gamble as just this, like this athletic like combo forward type. Um, who maybe if you get him into a good situation, like maybe to, like like a team like Toronto um, has him in the nine oh five, and they get him on like the Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, Terrence Davis development train, and he becomes something. But it's just not a player that I'm super interested or in or as interested as interested in as some people seem to be. So. I have not seen him. Um, just what I've heard of him and looking at his stats, I think your assessment is probably accurate. Um, it does seem like people are getting a bit carried away with, with a guy at that age with, with that stat profile. But I mean, he definitely does a lot of stuff. That is, Um, that is, you are not wrong. He is a do stuff (laughs) all-star. 
yeah but but do stuff stuff can be bad so yeah. um yeah I, I i'll reserve like uh actual comments until i've seen him but um i i would just expect that i'll probably come out in a, a similar uh assessment to you as, as tends to happen <laughs> um i have i have one guy uh this week not not a sleeper by any means but um someone that I, it seems like his stock is really starting to kind of plummet which i just don't disagree i mean which i totally disagree with um i'm talking about rj hampton uh where he's dx still has him in the top 10 i think but I think Vecini's latest board had him around 20. Uh, in our draft Twitter mock, he fell into the 20s. Um, and just like, he's kind of the anti-Halliburton in that he, I really think he's one of the best advantage creators in the draft. Um, his his first step and then his subsequent acceleration are so good. I mean, people just cannot stay in front of RJ Hampton. Um, and, and it's a similar problem to Bulmaro where, you know, can he capitalize on those, um, on those advantages that he creates? But I mean, the, the advantages have to be there in the first place. And like, yeah, I think there's a pretty solid chance that RJ Hampton doesn't end up being any good. Uh, but he's a gamble that I, I really like as a guy who, who just has really like high, high level burst. I think that in, he uses other um, skills in conjunction with that burst. Like he's he varies his stride length in a really impactful way as a driver. Um, he he can leverage the threat of his burst with um, step backs and um, can just like I mean attacking off the catch is just like impossible to stay in front of. Um, and and there there are a lot of issues, but then on top of that. I think that he's on a really positive development arc specifically as a decision maker where he's, he's by no means brilliant, but he is making, I think a lot better decisions than he made in high school. Um, and I mean, at the very least you're talking about, you're talking about a guy who gets into the paint whenever he wants and then is, is you know, capitalizing on creases that are pretty obvious and just creating value plays out of that. I mean, it's it's definitely a different way of winning he's not manipulating a defense like like Tyrese Halliburton is but I mean he's actually creating the um the advantages that Halliburton doesn't create so I think that um you know if you're talking if you're talking upside uh or just outcomes that that matter for for um you know that that skill of advantage creation that we've we've put such an emphasis on I, I just I really strongly disagree with with the tumble uh, RJ Hampton seems to be taking. Yeah. And I think he works really well as an attacker off the catch as well, which may be something he wasn't really commanded to do as much uh, with New Zealand. I mean, like Max said, aside from the burst, one the thing that always stood out to me with is how technically good he was as a driver. Like you said, varying his stride length, um, getting low with his like really good ankle flexibility. His his shins get really low to the ground, and he like is good at using his off arm and kind of snaking through holes on his drives. And yeah, like you said, like I think he probably is going to shoot spot ups too eventually. I mean, the numbers weren't anything spectacular, but he seems comfortable mechanically, and he took them. So like as like a secondary, like like an ancillary like creator type. Um, that's definitely some viability um, offensively. And yeah, I mean, the defense is a nightmare and there's a chance that it just doesn't happen. And that's important to weigh, I think. But like considering the level of competition and like what he was, like the strides he made offensively, because like you said, there were some really impressive games 
as his passer. I think like the one that stands out to me was I think it was against Adelaide where he made like quite a few skip passes and then like there were like gnashing passes from the baseline. There's it's it's just really impressive stuff and I'm probably like getting a little lower than you are but like still I think falling into the 20s is a pretty massive value for RJ Hampton. Yeah. It's, it's confusing to me that people are and I don't want to reduce Kyra down to he is just fast but it's a little confusing to me that people who like Kyra because um, in large part because he is so freaking fast that they would not like RJ who I think has a better first step. I think like actually a meaningfully better first step. Um, and then I think Kyra's like sustained acceleration is really good, but I think like RJ in, in terms of acceleration is just like, is right like there with him. And then RJ, I think is a, is a different level as a vertical athlete, like totally different level. And that's muted right now because he's so weak and contact diverse. But I think that like, with strength development, which I, I think will will happen for him, he's going to be a pretty impressive vertical athlete. And I mean, there he is a total like way worse defender than Kyra, of course, and um, probably a worse decision maker. Um, I it just I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that Kyra has had this meteoric rise while RJ has like totally fallen. Um, I just think that they, at the very least, should be in like a comparable range. I think that the thing more than anybody else in this class. Uh, RJ Hampton has had the biggest uh, positional perception shift of anybody mm-hmm. in the first round. Um, in in um, in his grassroots time, he was seen as a complete primary. Yeah, and yeah. it basically took like a week abroad for that to end. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that is just being young. Some of that is the body limitations, which you mentioned, and the free throw rate is like the biggest concern for me. Um, you can't be a person who makes, you can't be a player who is an athlete who's also a minus events creator. And I think that he's a really interesting long-term bet. If you're a program or if you're an organization that thinks that he could have some secondary or tertiary upside and that he was just, uh, that he suffered a really negative development um, situation for the past two years, because he was a, he's a public school kid. Um, who was on ball all the time, you know, as like the best, clear best player on his team. Um, and, you know, going from that to sort of being uh, an OKC style, like lane runner um, is about as jarring of a change as you can get from a, you know, a role perspective. And I think if you just shoot the middle of that and say, well, he might not be, he might not be a, a, a real primary, but he's also not just going to be somebody who just runs fast down the middle of the floor. And he's probably going to need two years of uh, like being locked in the gym uh, with a good strength conditioning program and just shots on shots on shots. But I think that in a draft that doesn't have enough serious gambles, that people need to put RJ in that category. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, mean, I, I fully agreed there. Yeah. I I'm, I think that um, yeah the the role change was stark. I, but I do think that I mean he he demonstrated uh, I think a capability to play within that role that was that was pretty positive. That I mean he is so potent attacking off the catch. Uh, I mean not not I mean not dissimilar from from Kyra in that sense where Kyra is. I mean we've talked about this before that Kyra is really hard to stay off uh, in front of when you're when he's attacking off the catch. But I think that he he uh, demonstrated an ability to to be a guy who's 
who is attacking you know, a, a defense in rotation. And then he, you know, he, he really compromises things and then can just make a simple kick out. And you're talking about a really good shot. Um, and I, I think that just as a guy who can, who can be like, I, I think like a, you know, second, secondary creator. Um, I think the potential is definitely there. I think that he, he has um, still a fair amount of, on ball self-creation equity. I mean, he can, I think he can get himself the space. It's, it's about doing stuff with that. Um, and I mean, of course the shot has to be there, but um, I, I think that th- there's, there's definitely a strong chance RJ Hampton busts, uh, but it just seems like such an obvious guy worth, worth uh, betting on, especially if you've got, if you've got strong infrastructure in place. And I mean, if, if he does take, um a tumble like i mean if if something comparable to what happened in in the draft twitter mock happens which it certainly seems like it could uh and he ends up on the spurs like it it will be a classic oh man the spurs did it again thing but i think it'll be legitimate like i would i would bet on rj hampton turning into a really good player if that happened also that would be um a total like a total flip on the i know spurs fans have long had issue with the spurs like relative athleticism level but turning out Lonnie, uh, Keldon, and RJ, oh. <laughs> like that seems so like a really the, bad all time. Of the, all of the all of the combo wins. Like, yeah. Hey, look, if you can get somebody to like, well, you have those three and Dejounte, who's also kind of yeah. that's at yeah. athlete really quietly. Um, so I have one last thing. Um, mm-hmm. we don't have to spend too long on it, but um, so in your evaluation. Which of these skills is the most changeable? Shooting, playmaking, tools like movement, weight gain, dribbling, feel, or defense? Depends what you mean by defense. Uh, probably like defensive role, like understanding your scheme and doing your job. <sighs> ah. So if for defense, if you had said like uh, – individual uh on ball defense that would have been my easy choice because uh i mean you see someone like killian make that transformation or in one year going from like a serious negative to like a genuine plus um but i i I think i'll go with shooting um i feel like that's the thing you see most often totally overhauled in a manner that actually matters and how about yeah I think I'd agree with that. Um, like, m- my kind of silly cop-out was playmaking, but at very, like, middling levels. Because I think, like, teaching learned reads is probably, like, logistically the easiest thing to do. Uh, uh, I would look, I, Like, we talked about this before. I mean, just taking, like, a, a prospect like Onyeka on the short roll and be like, hey, if the player tags, whip it to the corner. If not, go finish. Like, Theoretically, that is obviously that shouldn't be as hard as as developing like like a muscle imbalance or teaching someone how to dribble. But I think developing someone into a high level playmaker is nearly impossible. So that I I think the the interesting um, alternative to this question would be flipping it. What's the hardest? That was my next one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's feel because of yeah. because of the reps. Um, I mean, you just need you need so many reps. And in, I mean, like we talked about with with Jaden, you need it in a like specific context. Um, so I, I that's that's going to be my answer. What, uh, PD, what do you have for for both of those? Okay, so I think that um, if we're talking like low level, 
then playmaking is the easiest to like. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I agree with you know, that. To yeah. knock out, if we're talking about going from being a negative to a positive, um, I think that it's schematic defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Like, just in terms of like, here is your job. Um, I think like the clearest example for me of this is J.R. Smith, who like mm-hmm. went from being a straight up floater on defense, like a person who would just like be a stocks out there doing whatever he wanted to. And then yeah. the Cavs eventually figured out, you know, 12 years into his career or whatever, like, hey, if you just do one thing, like, if you never look away from this guy, you're actually pretty good at defense. And so I think that, um, I think that if you can adapting a scheme to a player, if their talent warrants adaptation, and then just that system over and over again, like players who have their development stunted by learning five different systems in six years, like, is a phenomenon that, like, I think gets underrated. And then if I had to say the hardest one, it's dribbling. Yeah, dribbling, yeah. dribbling is, is really hard. Because even the guys that, that people, like, claim develop dribbling. Uh, Jalen Brown. T- yeah. The, the, I'm, I'm subtweeting Jalen again. Where I don't think, like, his <laughs> his um his ability to take contact has improved um, in multiple regards. I mean, while, while he's dribbling and while he's finishing. Um but I don't think that his actual like tight spaces handle has actually has improved. I mean, it's a really hard thing to improve. I think that um, I think that it's also hard because the manner that I believe dribbling to be changed, and I think the manner that um, other people believe dribbling to be changed, are like to- totally different. Um, like a lot of people, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone down like the player development team rabbit hole. Like there are YouTube links for teams that like they send them to their players from like ten years ago. Of like them doing the the player development staff doing the drills that they would send to the to the players for them to rep at like home or whatever, and like mm-hmm. it'll be you know like a Detroit Pistons uh, player development staff or dribble doing between the legs is under a dribble bridge or whatever, and that helps to an extent. But actual dribbling has to be treated like feel, where it's like okay, mm-hmm. I need to work on my prior perception of like this person thinks I'm going to move this way, so I have to slightly shift my weight. Like it's a much more complex system than just being competent at putting the ball down and then having it bounce back up. And even the people who are good at like have developed as dribblers are usually just like these wonky, uh, like off balance, falling down weirdos, like Pascal, where it's like, is he going to like, is he slipping? No, that's just how he moves. That seems terrible to go. Oh God. And you can't (laughs) stop him because like you don't have a playbook for how to handle the guy who like dribbles like he's been covered in grease. Yeah. I mean, just thinking, think about it on like a, a personal level, like dribbling is like the hardest thing to personally develop because like if you want to fix your shot you can go and shoot by yourself and figure it out like if you even i mean even like feel is is a bit different but i mean at least like learning learning um you know uh learning reads and and just like you you can learn that that sort of thing to an extent um from just like studying a lot of film uh but dribbling, like you're going to, you're going to need reps probably in a game situation that you're not going to get because you can't dribble. Um, or you and, have I mean, to. I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the, I, I mean, yes. Sorry. Um, it's it's been a long episode. Yeah, PD, you, go, you go ahead. Okay. The other way to do it is like um, uh, a college coach that I talked to um, made the point that like the way that he got one of his guys to dribble was that he lined up like a whole bunch of like eighth graders. And it was just like, go dribble through every single one of these kids. <laughs> and it was like, and the guy was like, you know, the player was like, this is embarrassing for me. And he's like, so is watching you dribble. But like, you need to learn how to beat people. And that's, and that's legitimately the only way I can think that you improve. Like fundamentally someone's dribbling is that you just give them like harder and harder challenges until they can take on NBA defenders. 
That's the thing. Yeah, I, I would like. I mean, I, as someone who can't really dribble, I, I would, I would want someone like just haranguing me as I, you know, try to do things. But it's, it's pretty hard to find that. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's such a difficult thing. I think to actually even get into a situation to develop. Um, that, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a strong case for it, uh, it to be dribbling, which. Um, I think should be fairly concerning for a fair amount of the prospects at the top of this class. Hi, Halliburton. And at least, like, functionally, I mean, it's, like, logically similar to building muscle. I mean, like, like, like when you're building strength, you're, like, you're continually putting your muscles in more challenging situations so they can adapt to be put in more difficult situations and lift more weight and things like that. Except, except there's no gym for dribbling. Like, like, there's no way to bench press a basketball by yourself. Like you actually like it, it's just logistically more difficult to find yourself in those situations to really improve your your dribbling. And I think like going from like non-dribbler to someone who can like handle a little bit is is it's still easier than going from like any any anywhere in that range to like a complex dribbler. I think that's like basically. I think that problem. I think that the hardest one to go from is somebody who like is a reasonable dribbler into like Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. 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 No, I I think yeah, I mean no one is like becoming Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. uh Leandro Bomaro like like that that's you're you're not you're not teaching um I don't know. I don't know who are reasonable dribblers, yeah. but you're not you're not teaching them to to have that level of like shiftiness and and um and ball control and uh, yeah, that's that's just not happening. You have to raise your son to, to dribble against you and hold nothing back if you yeah, want that's, Kevin that's Porter Jr. <laughs> There's engineered from childhood to be a dribbler. And there's, I think that one of the difficulties with dribbling, um, and especially in analyzing dribbling, is like, there's not really a way to look at it and be like, this is a person who, uh, like, moves with liquidity. Like, they just move, and there is like no problem with energy transfer. It's hard to figure out a way to be like, to really grade that out so that you can go through like a vast swath of prospects like you can with free throw shooting or anything else. And so you're sort of left with these proxies for like, what does dribbling look like to a spreadsheet or what does dribbling look like to a query? And yeah. while player tracking has done some okay things like synergy playmaking data is not great. I don't think anybody will claim that it is. And until that happens, like there's not enough money that you can put on people like Kevin Porter Jr. or Omaro or these players who it's like, they have something and whatever else comes with it, you're just going to have to learn how to deal with it because unless there is like... I haven't heard of anyone going realistically like as a sort of up and down dribbler to that level really ever. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. there are examples. Honestly, Like there are guys who, who have improved from bad to okay or, or like okay to solid, but I, I don't think there's anyone that becomes like one of these, one of these really like one of these guys who creates advantages with their handle. I, I don't think that that is, is really a thing. Um, I, think we I should, mean, with, with that, should we, should we probably, finally, call this one I, I mean this pod has gone so long we've added the third p to the prep the pro podcast and that's parenting so <laughs> i mean uh, yeah um this was a really fun episode um thanks again to pd for joining us uh pd is there anything you'd like to plug anything you're working on that we, we, we briefly mentioned but in, in a more formal sense anything you want to plug uh yeah um i'm pd webb uh i write extremely um rambling um, somewhat similar to this episode, uh, <laughs> uh, breakdowns of uh, very granular breakdowns of wing prospects going forward. Uh, I have 
this uh, big defense um, breakdown coming soon. If you would like to give me money for writing about basketball, uh, $5 a month would make a huge contribution. If you want to give me nothing, click the follow button on Twitter at, at above the break three. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for having me on. Um, I hope I didn't, uh, you know, have too much traffic or talk too quickly at any point. I really appreciate that, guys. No, yeah, yeah, no, it was tr- truly our pleasure. Um, I just hopefully this episode has demonstrated that PD is someone that you should obviously be following. Uh, I think at this point, like, no question, the most underfollowed person on draft Twitter. Oh, no, uh, just like incredibly insightful, and his his Patreon posts are um ridiculous they're, they're yeah they're ridiculous in, in the best possible way um so please please shoot me a follow you will enjoy those yeah, yeah. And, and all of the wing posts are free these um i'll say the number like they average like 30 something pages long the cade one the cade one is 42 i won't lie to you um there there are a lot of images though they're not totally yeah. cold no. wicker style 47 minute uh essays i would like to thank cole's wicker for pioneering the space that I am attempting to run. Um, uh, but all the wing breakdowns are free. If, uh, you know, it, think, and feedback is honestly as appreciated as money. Um, but I want to thank prep to pro um, for giving me this platform for, um, for consistently putting out the best draft podcast out there. Um, you will catch me listening to it multiple times a week. Um, Thank you guys for really doing this. Yeah, and one final thank you to everyone who, after last week's plea for uh, iTunes reviews, uh, thank you to everyone who left one. We had, we had a, a spike uh, in them, which we really appreciate. It does help a lot. Um, and, I mean, just like for us, it, it can be a, a definitely a bit frustrating when we obviously put a lot of work into this, and then um, you, have, you have people who are, who are starting up um, – you know, big, big time podcasts and, and not necessarily, you know, in that level of work, but, are, but can coast off of, yeah. off of reputation. Um, it's a little, it's a little frustrating to see them, them doing so well while we're uh, like the, the, the little engine that could, but uh, we really appreciate everyone that, um, you know, left a review. And, and if you could keep doing that, we would continue to appreciate it. If you yeah. screenshot me a review of the prep to pro podcast, that you have left and it is five stars i will do a, a synergy search for you and i will write a one-page breakdown on your favorite player or your game if you send me video wow well there it is i'll make a burner and do that so but yeah um once again this was a really fun episode uh th- thank you just n- n- big thank you to just everyone who's listened i mean the support through these like what first 13 or whatever episodes has been really awesome and I'm just, I'm very glad that we decided to start this. And, you know, we're dedicated to putting out the best draft content we can. I, I mean, I'm sure there's not actually a big draft podcast that's coasting our reputation. Max is just talking in hypotheticals. But um, we'll keep working to make sure that we are the ones you want to listen to so and again if if you do have any problems with us that you don't feel like subtweeting um actually uh we always want feedback uh we always want to know what we can do better or what you guys want um and i think with that um you can follow the the pod twitter account at prep number two pro pod uh follow me at ben underscore pfeiffer underscore follow max at max like carlin once again you can follow pd at above the break three and I think with that, um, 
we're almost at two hours, so yeah. <laughs> we should That's probably call it. We can sign off from our longest episode ever. Yeah, I did. I did retweet. Make it two hours, you cowards! Last week, so <laughs> I have done my portion. Thank you to Raptors Twitter for adopting me. I did my best to get you guys Giannis. <laughs> yeah, by drafting them, Jordan Dora. <laughs> there is a strong connection. They're all gonna hate you. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Ben, let's cut it. <laughs> all right. Bye. Um. Stay safe and have a nice day.